What's up, Redemption? How you doing? Hope everyone out there is having a wonderful week. We are here for a brand new episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. And like I said, we've got another brand new guest. On this week's episode, we're welcoming in my friend Joe Schaefer. And we're going to be talking about another rule that changed this past year. We're going to be reviewing the four activation limit rule. And we'll be talking about that and kind of what went into that decision or what we think might have went into that decision from the outside looking in and kind of review that. Also, my friend Joe here came with the goods. So there's some big announcements in here. So make sure you listen along to the entire episode and pick out the big nuggets and feel free to share them within the community once you hear them. So appreciate you tagging along and we'll get right into it. All right, guys, thank you for joining for a brand new episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. As I told you last week, we are here with another brand new guest, someone that hopefully you all want to hear from. So how you doing, Joe? What's up? How you doing, John? Pretty good. So, you know, did it last week and we do it with most people that are new for the first time here at the podcast. So do you want to share a little bit about yourself and your I guess, history with the game of redemption for the listeners? Uh, sure. Uh, so for those of you that don't know me yet, my name is Joe Schaefer. Uh, you can find me on the forums as the Schaefer or on discord as Schaefe. different spellings, just to mess with y'all. Um, so I started out redemption. I want to say in about 2005 with just before John's, uh, favorite set release of angel wars angel wars but i also uh wasn't very good at that time obviously took a little bit of a hiatus whenever i joined the military and then came back around 2015 and a certain uh person named roy cruz came to texas and started going to nationals and just became more and more involved and I guess uh, if we're wanting some more breaking news here, I am the most recent elder for the redemption community now. So you just you just dropped that bomb on people right there. Just no kind of forewarning. So the newest elder for redemption is Mr. Joe Schaefer. <laughs> That's pretty cool news. Yeah, surprising for me, but you know, definitely one that I don't take lightly. Did you get a nice sign-on bonus? Uh, I mean, does more responsibility and work count as a sign-on bonus? I think so. I think that's what my job likes to think is a sign-on bonus. I mean, I feel like that works with redemption, too. Like, the higher you get, the more responsibility that you just somehow end up with, and that's a prize. Well, it's nice to see the leadership team growing and kind of spreading some of those responsibilities among more people so that it's less work on any individual. So hopefully you guys aren't getting burned out. So nice to see growth within the leadership team. Yeah. It's awesome to be a part of it. So hopefully I can keep up with all these established members that have been doing a great job so far. Yep. So I guess we'll kind of go over some recent news here. Were you aware that 
the Lecky plugin is now live. I was. I saw that recently today while I was grocery shopping. Yeah, I had to pull up Lecky because I told Luke Marshall uh, before we recorded when I sent him the outline for last week's episode. I was like, it's live, and it was not. So I went and double-checked. I downloaded it, and I typed in the best card from GOC. I typed in Gabriel Mouth of God, and it's on there. So we're good, guys. I even checked that the national promos are on there. Pontius Pilate is there. I did not check starter decks in my little test, but I assume that those are probably there as well. Well, I haven't checked any of that yet myself, so I couldn't speak on it. Yeah, actually, I guess maybe maybe the starter decks aren't there, so we'll just scratch this whole bit about starter decks. I have no idea if that's on there, but Lackey Plugin is live, so now you can start deck building. Now you can start you know, tweaking things with GOC phase two cards. A lot of fun, a lot of fun times ahead for people. Now that we're in the kind of down period for the game to where you're not really pushing for an active tournament, but now there's a lot of, I guess you can unlock creativity and try to build decks for the beginning part of next season. And I think that's what most people are going to be working on. So it's nice to see that we have reached this point. Yeah, I'm excited to see what uh, people can come up with. Like, I was pretty involved with the playtesting for, you know, GOC as a whole. And I can honestly say there's a lot of good cards that we're waiting for the community to see what they can do with them. Yeah. Hopefully no more uh, Life in the Sun type cards. <laughs> uh, let's hope not. Not to, not to foreshadow the, the coming conversation, but... Well, I'm sure we can talk a little about it. As far as Redemption with Jaden, normally I shout out his recent videos. He is still currently on his recuperation period, we'll just say that. But I did reach out to him, and he is expecting to have new videos sometime in early September, either the first or second week in September. So you can look forward to that. Tyler, he had been putting out videos leading up to Nationals, and he's kind of going on a, let's, let's just use his name, hiatus. But that's because he's working on the set and things of that nature. He's got more more important things to be focusing on as the, I guess, the next stages of what is going to be the next set for Redemption kind of goes into playtesting and things of that nature. I'm sure you guys are getting ready for that, Mr. Now I'm an Elder. Oh, let's see. Have we announced the name for that? I thought we might have done that at Nationals. At Nationals, Israel's Rebellion was announced. Yeah, do you have So, yes. Okay, so uh, yeah, so Tyler and Chris have been working pretty hard on you know getting the initial iterations of that out to everyone on the elder team. So I think what I can say right now is we are very early on in the design phase, and uh, but we are looking at things actively for that set. Well. Not too much to share there, but yeah, but that's that's why we haven't seen a lot of activity from Tyler on his YouTube channel. He's got more important things. He's been pretty busy, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, our friend in New York, Rob M with Rob M Studios, he just put out. I think the first thing he's put out since Nationals, if I'm not mistaken. But he got a new uh, card binder. It's a Guardian card binder and he's using that to keep his 
promos and high-end cards, and he's just doing a live review of that. So you can go and check that out, and you can see his growing collection of ultra-rare and promo cards, which is always nice to see. Some of the best-looking cards in the game. I never pass up a chance to see those. Yeah, Might be good for something like a 2018 Son of God if someone had one of those running around. Yeah, you could probably probably fit a couple of those in that binder, I guess. And then we'll talk about the announcement that I made last week, the Plus One Initiative. And that is just kind of trying to push people to use this period of not really super competitive, but working on decks and things and using some of this time to spread and you know, spread out and teach the game to new players and try to grow the game because the game's future is only as strong as we choose to make it as players. So remember, Plus One Initiative, all you got to do to join that is to teach a new player how to play, just show them the game, play a game with them, take a picture, and you can send that in with their first, last name, city, state, just so that we can track and make sure that someone's not saying they taught the same player seven times how to play the game. I mean, granted, when I started, it took about seven times to figure out some of the mechanics, not saying that, but you know what I mean. And I was told by Tyler that he and John Early are working on some custom and amazing prizes for this. So right now I'm still working on setting up the link for you to submit things. And then we've got some custom prizes that are being worked on, you know, working out the final details of those between our friends, John and Tyler. So announcement forthcoming in the future about those, but it's going to be something, but the main point of this is to try to grow the game. So doing that. And then if you get something on the back end is, is secondary to the fact that we're just trying to grow the game and make sure that it's around long-term. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you can teach anyone the game in this next year and tournament season, please seek out and do that. I mean, redemption is such a great tool for, you know, spreading the gospel. So and just even along with that, it's a great game. It's growing. And the more people we have that can play the game, the more people we can spread the good news. That's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. So we also, in the, I guess, technically, we had one last week that I chose not to share just because I didn't think about it. But we got Herod's Temple alternate art for a GOC-only promo. And then we now have Golgotha. So we have both of these cards. We all know what they do, but we've got the artwork for them. Herod's temple is Jesus chasing people out of the temple. And that's a Tissot piece. And Golgotha is also a Tissot piece, but it's it looks like them carrying the cross um, up you know, the hill of Golgotha. And at this point, I mean, it looks like in the artwork that Jesus is carrying it, but Mel Gibson told me that that other dude carried it when he made Passion of the Christ, so <laughs> I'm not sure who's technically <laughs> supposed to be carrying it at this point, but the cross is being carried, and I really I really think these cards look great. Golgotha, I think, looks far and away an improvement over what we have for the regular card. Like, I really want that artwork, like, it would have been cool to to see that in the in the set as the main art piece, but now there's a there's a 
cooler version that is going to be attainable if you play GOC only as a category, which is going to be announced soon whenever phase two becomes legal that you would be able to play GOC only just like you did LOC only previously in the last year. So, or I guess last year plus. So what do you think about these cards and artwork choices for them, Joe? Uh, well, I think they are gorgeous looking at them again. Um, I mean, I know I'm pretty partial just towards Herod's Temple just because I really love that card and what it's doing. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, it looks like there are still... There's actually two people helping carry the cross, so it looks like Jesus has a little helper behind him there. So no worries about Mel Gibson influence on this one. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, if you can get your hands on these... Highly recommend it. They look beautiful. Yeah. Here it's Temple's a great card for the ability. I just, when I look at these, Golgotha looks like if they had chose to, for some reason, make that an ultra rare, like that would have been great artwork for, for that. It's got enough color splash that I, I really just think it's, it's one of the better of the only promos. So like LOC only, like there was a couple of those, like I really like the um, Root of Jesse artwork mm-hmm. and this kind of has kind of that same that same feel to where it's like, all right, I don't even want to play the other one. Just give me this one, and this is the only one I'm going to play. Yeah, I mean, the color really pops in this one. Cannot lie. So I guess that is going to do it for our first half. I didn't have enough to jazz up and spice it and keep it, keep it going like we did last week when I just rambled about the plus one initiative with, with Luke. And I guess we get ready to transition into the main topic here, which is going to be continuing our year in review, talking about the big rule changes that happened within the game. But before we do that, just want to take a moment to let you guys know, I'm going to try to do this here at this point in the podcast, just make it more of a, uh, a focal point to tell you that we are sponsored by Covenant Games. So check out our friend John Early and his business at Covenant Games. And you can buy sealed product there. You can buy other family-friendly games. You can buy your threshing floor playmat. And, you know, maybe the things break the right way. And those redemption sleeves that we, you know, we joked about and, and pushed and talked about, maybe those will eventually get made. So that'd be cool to see. But we are sponsored by Covenant Games, so make sure you go check those out. And with that, we'll we'll move into the discussion here, which is going to be reviewing the rule change that happened earlier this year. Um, I guess it was February, maybe March. Honestly, don't really know the exact date. I could have gone back and looked, but you know, you get a lazy podcast host here. Well, I'm the wrong person to ask too, since I'm lazy about trying to look up dates on those things. So, yeah. So, Anyway, so this this came out after the second Lackey Grand Prix. So first Lackey Grand Prix happened, and it was people trying out different decks, and it was kind of like this wide open, like you didn't know what you were going to be playing when you played someone. And that one was won by Josh, who, you know, continued his winning ways after winning Type One last year at Nationals. He won the first Lackey Grand Prix, and then the second one which is forever known as the Widow Grand Prix. It was the first one where Widow Combo came out and everybody was just comboing everyone. 
And then shortly after that, there was a rule announced that was going to limit activations to four per turn for cards. So when this rule was first announced, I, I believe whether you were playing combo or you were not, everyone had some strong opinions about it. And some of the other cards that were causing an issue was also the interaction with also the first. So it wasn't just widow, but they did this rule to kind of answer a few different things and try to balance things and not let someone under deck six souls with shield, you know, limit that to four. It also limited the card that Jaden loves so much, Jeshua, who used to be Jeshua the Restorer, but we coined the phrase that he is now Jeshua the Limited. So he gets four per turn, gets to draw off of cards being top decked. So what were some of the initial discussions and thoughts that you and, and people in your playgroup had when that rule was announced? Because I don't know if, I think this was the the rule that happened that created the most like, even more than the reserve rule, I really do think like it was just like people had strong opinions either for it or against it, and like they were on their soapboxes. So what were people in your area, what did they think about it? Well, uh, I guess for my area, it's a little bit of an interesting spot. Uh, there's not too terribly many competitive players here uh, down in Texas. Obviously, uh, Jared had a pretty good show in front of himself. Roy's very competitive. What are you talking about? Uh, Roy thinks he's competitive. <laughs> but no, uh, it was definitely interesting. And I guess to clarify, in case anyone you know was wondering about it, I was not a part of this initial discussion. Uh, I have been pretty actively involved with the Elder Team with things like playtesting for a while. And, you know, I've been privy to a lot of conversations that a lot of Redemption players maybe weren't just due to, you know, being involved so much. But I was not involved with the decision process with this. So I had my own initial reactions as well, um, which uh, initially I, I was not a fan. And, you know, that's maybe a little weird to say now that, you know, I'm in the position of being an elder now. But um, I think part of it's just the initial, I guess, like shock of it, um, thinking it was probably, you know, there was better things that could have been done. Um, I don't know that there was any particularly strong reaction from necessarily my playgroup as a whole. Um, I think, I don't want to speak for Jared too much, but Generally, I think he keeps his cool and then just tries to adapt to whatever that means for the meta. So I don't think he was too phased by it or anything. And then most of our other, you know, players, they're more casual or growing as redemption players. So they weren't really as affected with this. I mean, I'd argue that the next competitive player we have is actually Marcus. So, you know, him being you know, the elder and rules guru that he is. Uh, I don't think he necessarily had a reaction. It was more just trying to feel out what the community was saying. Yeah, I mean, needless to say, uh, I was not a fan. And, you know, I probably had a few words with Tyler, more than likely, since I like to message him on things. Nothing necessarily bad or anything, but 
you know, just why was that chosen kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's kind of how people that I talked to about it when it first came out, because we had just come through that Lackey Grand Prix, like I mentioned, Lackey Grand Prix 2, where people were just widow comboing each other. And it's like, okay. And everyone was so focused. It was like they got tunnel vision on widow. And it was like, all right, this, th- there needs to be an announcement. And people were like, we need to just ban widow. We need to errata it. We need to have all of these different, different things. And then this is announced. And I think the initial thing was people, like, why are you affecting my Jonah because Widow is is broken? And why are you affecting my other cards because Widow is broken? But I think it was kind of an, a, a, a hopeful, if we make this, this change, then it limits the chance. The chance of having another broken interaction is out there. there like, it, it, it may happen again. But... I guess the thought was it can't be that bad if you're limiting it to four activations. So it's not an infinite loop. And I think maybe that was some of the the discussion that led to that being chosen. And I could be completely off on, on that. And it just could be something that had been brought up before and they were thinking, and this was just the kind of now's the chance to throw it out there. But I think people were just so tunnel vision and they were expecting widow to be banned that when it wasn't, then a lot of people didn't like it because they're like, you're affecting so much other things. And now I have to keep up with another rule. And also widow is still able to draw 12 in a turn, which a lot of people moved off of widow at that point, because it didn't seem like the payoff was that great. But obviously as the season played out, it was still a pretty strong interaction. So, yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of how I saw it. Like the reaction, it seemed like was just, everybody was wanting widow to just get completely nerfed and it didn't happen. And so it might've left a bad taste just because of what it didn't do. Yeah. I think some players might've thought that it was more of a slap on the wrist kind of to the widow combo, which I mean, there were definitely a lot of strong opinions going around with what to do about the widow combo. Um, And, you know, I think it's fine for us to have those, you know, strong opinions on everything. Um, you know, at least from my perspective on how the elders generally approach doing things is drastic measures generally aren't taken quickly. So like even, you know, as a player before, you know, filling in this new elder role, I didn't expect Widow to get banned um, or any part of the combo to be banned immediately but I was curious as to what they were going to do to address it. So, like, for me, and I think a lot of other competitive players at the time just didn't think it was sufficient because drawing 12 a turn is still quite a lot of card advantage. And ultimately, it did prove out that way, but in the end, the community had to, in a sense, prove that it still wasn't sufficient necessarily. Which, you know, you can argue on that part if you'd like. But I think, you know, based on Nationals, Widow had quite a bit of success. Even if it didn't take first in Type 1, it did very handedly win Type 2 in the hands of Jeremy. And it it won teams as well. Yes. I can't forget your shameless plug there for teams. Yes, in in Jeremy's hands, though, let's (laughs) clarify. (laughs) But... 
No, just it was interesting to see, you know, how players, you know, adapted um, to that. And I think that's ultimately what the elders wanted to, you know, do with that was sort of address the situation, but not drastically initially. And you, t- you talk about players adapting and how they adapt to it. We know how Jeremy Chambers adapted to it because he took it and didn't make it the focal point of his His deck wasn't just to boom, 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 I got to get this. But like using numerous as a stars to set up that to then get the draw 12 off of it. Yeah. And all of that worked together to just create massive advantage to where he could then manipulate the opponent's hand to where they didn't have enough stuff to block him. And he would eventually just get to five that way by just limiting access to resources. So that's how he took it and approached and built a deck around it. But as far as like just not even talking about just Widow at this point, how do you think it affected like within your playgroup? You've got Jared there. You've got yourself. I know that you were playing in at least the first Lackey Grand Prix. You were playing Patriarchs. <laughs> but like how did how did that – not that not that Patriarchs suck or anything, right, Luke? But – um how did it affect just standard? Like if you're not trying to build a combo deck, how did it affect your deck building? Was there any effect to you or did you not run in? Did you run into situations where I thought it was going to limit a lot of things. And then as I start playing games, it's like, Oh yeah, I, I didn't trigger shield four times. There wasn't like five and six that I'm like, Oh man, I really wish I could do it. It just didn't come up. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, for me in general, uh, I didn't necessarily play a whole lot this past year, um, but you know I definitely helped out a lot of people with building themselves. I did play a few Lackey Grand Prix, and I did run Patriarchs for a little bit. I think I ran Infinidab for a little bit, at least my variant. And I mean, ultimately, with the Limit 4 rule, I don't think it changed as much as people thought it would in terms of like deck building or how they approached playing the game necessarily because it really only affects certain interactions where a card can be triggered multiple times you know quickly in a turn i do think it hurt things like the first combo which was you know part of the initial intention but I think it, you know, took it to an extent where most players were fully off of the combo, even though there was still a lot of value to be gained from using the first combo, which I want to say Jeremy still played around with that a bit. Uh, did he still use that in his Type 1 deck? I don't fully remember no. what he was playing, but... No, um, I, the last time that I played him in Type 1 at one of Chris's tournaments, or I guess the last two... He was off of the first combo. I know that we, in our team's deck, one of us obviously did the unity to have the first. Um, so he did that, and then I had ability souls in my deck because the unity only counts for individual players mm-hmm. instead of the team. So we did we did the first with, with it in one deck to kind of offset, you know, the dominance that the other one had to help. You know, like only one deck gets crowd's choice type of thing to kind of offset some of that, but... As far as just standard type one, he was back on ability souls, triggering like lawless and and things like that is just too good in in a deck where you're trying to make sure you have access to things in your hand. Yeah, which you know that generally became the consensus I think for most players. Um, but I mean, even to an extent, the first combo was still pretty good. Um, 
you know, it did take quite a bit of its speed potential away by limiting it to four. And then with your, uh, I forget the name of the fortress off the top of my head. High places. High places, yes. Uh, limiting those is a bit much, but even if you still get the combo, that's still quite a bit of drawing that you can do. So, I mean, that was one example. I didn't personally like that a card like Priest of Zeus, you know, was starting to be limited, Jonah, that kind of thing. Um, but overall, I don't think it necessarily changed how most people built their decks necessarily. It just, everyone was like upset that, you know, their cards were limited, even if they couldn't normally approach those limits. And then for me personally, it just steered me away from the first combo, I think, a bit more. But that was about it. Yeah, I really do think that players had a bit of a uh, realization after they played a few games with it and realized that it wasn't going to be as prevalent hitting a bunch of things because part of the outcry, like I mentioned, was just, no, why are you not just targeting Widow? Why are you affecting my cards that I'm playing in a normal fashion? And it's like, it really didn't affect that. But then if you build your deck like Jaden did um, at times to manipulate the interaction with Jeshua, the restorer. So if you top deck a good card, you can draw it. It does limit that. And that's an unfortunate byproduct uh, because that's kind of one of the, the, I guess, consistency and speed engines of that archetype with post-exilics because you've got the plumb line that's intentional to work with Jeshua. Mm -hmm. And then obviously you've got his play with Balaam's prophecy, I think is the one where you can reveal the top six cards or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it broke that to where that wasn't a playable thing. So I don't think it really broke anything else. I think it's just, it, it, it almost puts a cap to where like, you're never going to, you're never going to hit this, but or, or, I mean, not that you're never going to hit it, but you're you're rarely going to hit this. And if you do, it's because you're trying to manipulate the game and work within the game rules to exploit an interaction like an infinite loop. And then when you hit that, boom, now there's a wall for you to hit. So you can't just do it infinitely. So it's kind of just a, it's kind of just putting a fence around your property. You know, it's just there if you need it type of thing. Yeah. So just create that, that barrier to keep broken interactions from being looped infinitely in the future. Yeah, just being able to control how abusive things can get was one of the major things that the Limit of Four accomplished, you know, even if it was to our chagrin at times. So let me ask you this. Um, being a player at the time, I know you've transitioned now to an elder, so you've, you're kind of in that, that weird period, but I'll refer to back at this time, because you said you weren't involved with the, the decision. What do you feel like when that initial announcement was made that we're limiting this? What do you think as a player you thought their ultimate goal was with the rule change? What If if the rule change worked 100% how they wanted it to, what do you think their, their goal was for that? Well, I think with any decision that the elders make, they want it to you know, have implications on the future and where that is in the game. So um, I think that's one of the reasons why we don't see a lot of just 
you know, snap bans on cards, especially like Widow, uh, just because that doesn't always, you know, just address the problem. It solves an immediate problem, but not necessarily is a long-term solution. So uh, my thoughts on it was, you know, they were trying to institute something that potentially could be a long-term solution, which it seems like the Limit of Ford does have that potential, which... I guess, at least from my opinion, um, not necessarily speaking like uh, for all the elders here or anything, but I think it's interesting to see how redemption can change from year to year. And even though that the limit of four activations is currently a rule, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be what's best for redemption, you know, five, ten years down from the line, but at least... It has the potential to be there five, ten years down the line, which I think is important with any rule that gets implemented in the game. That's fair. And I, I definitely think that a lot of the focus has been on the future of the game and the future well-being of the game. Even if it's just like the intentional, you know, trying to clean up the wording on cards and the, the rulings just to try to make things more, um, I guess, easier for a player to jump into and get acclimated with all that redemption is because it is a lot for a new player to come in and, you know, immediately, okay, you got starter decks here, learn how to play the game. Now jump into the competitive scene and the, like the, the gap between that is kind of where redemption really struggles is like, we can teach you the basic mechanics, but then when you sit down and you have a game against someone at a tournament to where, there's a whole bunch of things going on and it's happening so fast. And then they're looping things to where it takes a lot for you just to catch up to that mentally, to know what's going on and to feel comfortable with what's happening. And then to also in deck building, approach it and try to find an answer for it. So I think just to completely limit the chance of an infinite loop, just ruining a player you know, to kind of future proof the game with this, this activation limit. I think it's, I think it's not unhealthy for it to be there, even though it does feel, I, I hate when, when players say this and, and they just throw it out a lot of times, but it does feel a little arbitrary mm-hmm. to where it's like, where did four come from? Why four? And then you run into an issue of, okay, now, okay. So as I start the game, I've got to keep up with the fact that I have no reserve access the first turn to remove cards from it. I can send things to the reserve, but I can't remove. And that's happened in the last year. That's another rule that, you know, we'll end up reviewing here on the podcast. But then you also are having to keep up with out of nowhere. Now you can only activate a card four times. And it's, it's just something else to keep up with that. We know how bad redemption players are at keeping up with, keeping up with who went first in the game so much that we wrote it down this year and it worked fantastic. But had we not written it down, I'm sure that there would have been a lot of heated debates at the end of games like, no, you went first. No, I, not remembering that. So I think that's also one of the elements that kind of made me leery about it. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that it's there and it doesn't hurt me that it's there because I'm not trying to do anything infinitely and break something. Like I wasn't a big fan of the whole combo interaction with Widow and Life in the Sun. I did it when it was first announced just because if you're trying to play in a competitive scene, if you're not doing the thing that is the best and someone else is doing it, then you're not, you're not setting yourself up to try to win that. And so sure. I I did the whole combo thing when it first was announced, but 
then when they did the the rule and people were soured on it, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, after playing Love at First Sight last year, I felt like I needed a little moral equity. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I couldn't do it two years in a row. So I was like, no, I'm not going to play that. But I think, I think it's just part of the part of the reason that I don't like it is four isn't a number for anything else in the game. Yeah. Um. So having to keep up with that. I know that I'm kind of going back to initial reactions and things, but that was one of the things that just kept kept sticking with me is when you when you start thinking about it. And now Jonah's sitting in a territory, and you just got to keep up with how many times they've searched or whatever. Because I think that those are the those are the one thing uh, like the territory class characters are the the things that hit that four limit first mm-hmm. when you talk about things that are hit it unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Because the opponent is searching into your Jonah or whatever. Yes. That type of that type of thing. Yeah, and I think that's honestly fair criticism of the rule. Like I do wanna stress I do think there's a difference between having, you know, healthy criticism for the rules and, you know, just trying to, you know, bash a rule or the people who institute it, that kind of thing. But if you're not necessarily happy with something the way that is being able to express that in a healthy manner i think it's fine um even with myself i do have some you know i I do share some of those critiques like the number four does feel a little bit arbitrary um and everything that doesn't necessarily mean that i'm not in support of the four activation rules um especially right now in my current position and everything but I do think that we should always be looking to better the game and having healthy critiques of the game helps us figure out what we might can look at to potentially better the game. So that's kind of at least where I stand on it. And, you know, I think it's healthy to have differing viewpoints. Um, I know there's been a lot of different discussions going on on the boards currently and Discord about how we can make the game better, what needs to be done about Widow, was four activations enough, what other things could we institute? And I love seeing those things, you know, because in the end, I think most of us want to see this game the best it can be. And, you know, the elders are the same way. We just, you know, have the problem of how do we actually go about doing that, which that's... That's a tricky process, you know, even if I haven't necessarily had the pleasure of being a part of all those conversations quite yet, you know, just trying to weigh ideas and the merits of them, you know, there's a lot of things that come into play that many players don't even expect. Yeah. So in, in that little bit of discourse there, you kind of talked about a whole, there was a whole pack of sardines there. So (laughs) we need to like open it up and start pulling the fish out one at a time, like I, I do think that it's it's back when I first started the podcast, I was helping with land of redemption and I was really like, I, the reason that I wanted to do the podcast was I talk about it. Like I think about redemption a heck of a lot more than I play it just because you don't always have the cards, but I care about the game and, and I guess I'm passionate about the game that I, I like and enjoy playing. And it makes me think about it. I talk about it like, I have random people call me about about redemption now and it's cool and I enjoy talking about redemption. So that's why podcasts seems like a a good medium, but also the fact that when changes happen with the game and 
the podcast came from a time when there was a lot of changes happening. And I remember sending a message to Chris and Gabe. And I think Chad was on it, who also at the time was helping and is still helping with land of redemption and doing editorial work and things of that nature. Mm. So I was like, all right, I'm going to start my own project and I can't help out with land of redemption anymore. And then the question of why, and it's like, well, I want to be able to freely speak about what I think, like everything has to be done in the right way. But like, if I thought the four activation rule was stupid, I wouldn't just come on here and say, Hey, that rule's stupid. We should be doing something. There's got to be something better. Elders got to figure it out. Okay. Well, then you become that person that's just complaining about the state of, of things and not offering any actual tangible ideas or anything that works towards improving. Mm-hmm. And I think I like that most of the discussions that are happening with the community, because we are all passionate about the game of redemption. That's why everyone talks about it with like fierceness and like passion when they, when they talk about it, like you will get people. I was in a van with people for what was it like 15 hours to and from nationals. I get it. People talk about redemption and, and it almost sounds like it's all like a lot of it feels negative, more negative than it is, but everyone's just wanting the best for the game and talking about it. And I think it's always healthy to have a place to discuss that. And that's why I'm glad that I have the podcast now and we can talk about this, but not trying to bash it, but just, you know, share opinions and your opinion doesn't have to match what leadership is and their opinions don't have to match what you think. But at the end of the day, they're the ones tasked with making the decision for the health and future of the game. So they're taking that more serious than they're taking your criticism of what they're doing because it, I'm, I'm a manager at work. If I care more about what my guys say than, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing, then, you know, that's not, that's not good leadership. Good leadership focuses on the task at hand and acknowledges other people talking about it, but doesn't let that sway their decision. So like if someone was to tell, you know, when the the rule was announced to reach out to the elders and be like, this rule's stupid. I think it's, it's dumb. They'll be like, Oh, okay. Well, don't worry about it. We won't do it then. There's got to be some backbone there. But talking about it is is a healthy thing. And a lot of these discussions that are happening, we're, we're a month removed from Nationals, and Na- Nationals was a fantastic event. I enjoyed it thoroughly. There was, there was a couple of things that I thought could have gone better, you know, mostly like, you know, my ability to be competitive in type one. But <laughs> beyond that, I think the setup of the event, the people that were there, there was nothing wrong. Like the only way to make nationals better was to do two things to make it last longer and to make more people be able to be there. And unfortunately those things are always going to be in conflict because you can't make it longer because then it starts to affect people's work weeks. And then people that are in ministry in churches on the weekend, if it spills over. So because you have that limitation, you're always going to have the limitation of some people just can't make it. You just have to live with that. But those those being really the only complaints about Nationals, I'll take that. Nationals was a fantastic event. And now the discussions have moved within the community of how do we how do we make the game even better for new players, which is great. You know, we're doing the plus one initiative. We're trying to make sure that players are focusing on new players and 
the experience that they have coming to the game. But then how do we fix the balance of the game? You know, if a player goes first, what percentage should they, you know, win? Is 60% too high? Is 55%? You know, those are discussions that are happening right now as well. And then you also have people with, you know, especially like Jared. Jared has come up with a couple of different ideas about how to, you know, kind of fix the balance of the game. He's even testing out or going to test out a new format that he came up with to where players kind of share the phases of each turn. <laughs> and those are all healthy discussions. It's not it's not unhealthy for the community to be offering suggestions like that because sometimes some of those turn into things that leadership can use. Yeah. And so I just, I, I just felt like just going on this whole rant here about like, it's okay to share your opinion and your opinion doesn't have to a hundred percent match up because I have opinions and they don't always match up with what is reality for the game or whatnot. But I, I'm not, I don't come on the podcast and just bash things, but I feel like I do say what I feel most of the time. And when it doesn't line up with other people, that's kind of why I, you know, gave that, when I was helping with Land of Redemption, I was like, hey, I just I just want to let you guys know that way if I ever say anything that comes out that seems like it's coming out of pocket, but people are passionate about the game. They're going to talk about the game that they're passionate about, and you're going to run into people trying to always improve it. But as long as you're not tearing it tearing down the house to try to improve it and you're you're more just, you know, renovating, you know, fixing issues. Instead of, all right, yeah, as we need to just completely bulldoze the house and, you know, lay a new foundation because that's not realistic. No, and, you know, I'm actually going to out myself a little bit here, but I used to be a bit of that kind of person. So especially early on, whenever I was becoming, you know, more of a competitive player, I was pretty, I don't want to say outspoken because I'm not really the most outspoken person in general, but I was pretty critical of a lot of things that the elders would do or decisions that would be made. Um, you were a closet critic. You were just, you were in the closet, just whispering criticism. Uh, to some degree, but you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd get on the forums and, you know, put, you know, walls of text with my critiques and, you know, start talking about how the elders weren't doing their jobs good enough kind of thing. You know, I've been that guy. I've had my fair share of going thing or doing things the wrong way. But I think as I've sort of gotten older and matured a little bit, um, you know, I've been, I guess, privileged in a lot of ways to be surrounded by a lot of elders or, you know, elders that aren't currently on the team due to other responsibilities. Um, so, Roy, for instance, is currently down here. Um, if Travis Brown, uh, he's currently not, you know, actively playing Redemption. We hope he returns to us, but, you know, he was on the elder team, uh, you know, for quite some time. And then Marcus, uh, you know, he's a part of my local playgroup and has been since I've been a part of the game. So just being a part of that, I've been weirdly connected to the other side and, you know, I've always been a curious person, so I started to get more and more interested as to why they would do certain things. And, you know, in a weird way, I think just due to that proximity to the elder team and my own curiosity, I became more and more involved with the process, you know, just wanting to make the game better. And now I sort of get it and look back on my 
previous uh, admonishings of the elders and feel silly about it and everything. But, you know, it just shows that, you know, redemption players can grow and can actually uh, do some pretty great things in the game if, you know, they actually, you know, take a little time to just think about why things are actually being done and take a time to learn that kind of thing. Yeah. I think one of the big things too, is to remember that the people that are in leadership and in the roles of being an elder, those are people that are doing this volunteer basis for a game that they love and they're passionate about just like you. It's not like they're trying to intentionally break the game or make it unfun for you, but just also just, Every, every interaction that you have with leadership in any capacity, whether that's at a job or through your, your church or whatnot, any time you deal with leadership, just always remember that they're, they're a person first before they're whatever their title is. And I think that kind of, if you let that dictate how you treat people, then you'll come out on the good side most times. Like as long as you're, you're keeping that as the main focus but mentioning all of the discussions and things that have come out, what do you, do you think that some of the suggestions that have come out, do you think some of those would have potentially been a better answer for the situation that we had with the widow and life in the sun combo and the infinite loops? Or, I mean, I guess does, does all of those still being talked about, does that speak for the amount of work that needs to still happen in, to address the concern or the conversations are healthy. You know, it's healthy to have those conversations to try to better the game at all times. But just since they're still targeting just the fact that one player gets to basically boom, boom, boom on their turn. And by the time you go, now you're up against a, a wall and trying to break through. And really the only way that I found to do that last year was using the, the Rossetti deck and res- resetting the game. And I think that's, I mean, that's basically what Jared was doing to uh, pilot his deck in type one this year that, I mean, I guess you, you probably saw up close. Uh, To some degree. So do you think, do you think that speaks for how much work is still needed to happen in this area? Uh, I think in general, there's always work to be done. I think if we're staying stagnant, we're doing it wrong just because, you know, more cards come out, more people get involved. And I feel like this is, I don't want to say an ever-changing game, but in a lot of ways it is. I mean, if we're not adapting to, you know, what new things we're doing or trying to make the game better than, you know, what we've currently got it at, you know, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice. You know, if you want to, like, compare it to our face, we're not called to just sit there and believe. We're, you know called to you know go out and make disciples and increase our own faith and understanding so um, at least in terms of the solutions to you know what we've seen on the boards um, if they could be better than you know the limit four thing I think the answer that I would at least go with is we don't know Um, because you know there hasn't been enough testing or implementation of those things I mean, there's definitely, you know, critiques of all of these. It's not to say that they're better or worse than what's currently in place or whether it should be 
put in alongside what we currently have. Um, you know, I even had the pleasure of actually getting a playtest game with Jared's eye for an eye format uh, just this past week. So, you know, just trying to get to see some of this in action. Please, please tell about that. That's that's a pretty cool little nugget. Uh, yeah, so it was actually uh, a pretty good overall experience, uh, at least on my end. Um, you know, I don't want to speak for Jared, uh, but I feel like there's quite a bit of strategy of knowing when to not play cards, if that makes sense. Just because, you know, you do have the option as the turn player to, you know, go into battle whenever you like and playing a card, uh, you know, allows your opponent to react in kind. So there might be some things that you would normally play in territory that might be better served to wait until battle starts, that kind of thing. There are some things that you want to get down early if you can. Um, I actually... As a funny enough play, I ended up uh, using my Angel of the Lord to take out one of his characters so that he couldn't respond to something with a territory class enhancement. So I think I killed his Goliath in territory so he couldn't play a Wages of Sin. That kind of thing. Which feels really weird, but, you know, I was playing a Ruth deck and I was trying to set up a uh, Jesse and Obed to try to keep him off some stuff. You know, there's just a little bit of strategy with, you know, how do you handle, you know, giving your opponent the opportunity to play cards during your turn as well, and vice versa. Yeah, that definitely sounds interesting, and I've I've been intrigued by it. I, I wasn't aware that he had already started the testing process, so it's nice to see that there's actually some test games happening. Yeah, or here here that there are. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I talk with Jared quite a bit. You know, him being part of the Texas play group, so. We got a game in, um, you know, at least personally, when I can, I like to, you know, test out players' ideas and see that kind of thing. It's always good to see where players are coming from and their reasoning. I think that's good. Um, but, you know, even still, um, I think even with these ideas, Redemption still has some lingering issues um, that kind of need to be addressed and the elders have sort of felt the same way on some of these things. Uh, for instance, the widow combo, I think it's safe to say that, uh, it's been even after the limit of four activations per turn, it was still very strong to the point of potential negative play experience, which no one really enjoys. I'm sure you got to see some of that, you know, either at nationals uh, by playing against it or in your teams. I was two and zero against the combo deck oh. at nationals. So I figured it out, but it's also playing Jeremy. And I had the one game that I, I talked about at Southeast regionals to where like I pushed him to the limit. And if I had gone crowd's choice to Leviathan to get an animal plus a negate. So I had a, blocker for two turns with that play versus crowd's choice straight into firefoxes yeah that got me the one block but i didn't have a body for the next one apart from that play you know i might have pulled that game out but then seeing him at chris's tournament his regional tournament east central regionals two weeks before nationals it was just 
he was a well-oiled machine and I sat there and you talk about negative play experience. So I think I'm, I've got a chance and I just need to get two heroes, <laughs> two heroes and two heroes. And I'm probably, probably going off because I know that he has martyr in his hand. I saw that from a hand to look off of like Emmaus road or something or Solomon's dream. And so I need a way to get another hero. Otherwise, as soon as I put a hero down, he's just going to boom. Cause he saw my hand as well. So he ends up going lawless. And you were talking about whether he was on the first or whatnot. He went lawless to get vain philosophy to basically shut me down. And I watched him play the rest of the game and I just sat there. Yeah. So definitely understand what you mean about the negative play experience playing Mr. Chambers. Yeah. And at least judging nationals, um, you know, I can tell you there was, you know, definitely quite a few long turns that were taken. Um, quite a few by the widow deck, not necessarily completely by the widow deck, but we definitely don't want, you know, players taking, you know, 10 minute turns, that kind of thing. It's not really a healthy spot to be in. So as one of the first official acts that I'm going to have as an elder, um, I will be announcing something to do with the Widow combo along with something else, which I guess to unofficially announce it here, if you would like some scoops. Nice. We, we do like scoops. We like chips and dips. So I'll give you a few little tidbits here. So first off, uh, the Ephesian Widow is going to be banned in constructed play. Nice, so outright ban. That is correct. I can I really appreciate that for the fact that not going through a, a rata process or whatnot, keeping the card pool clean. So I'm perfectly on board with that. So along with that, we're also going to be taking a little bit of a preemptive action on a card, uh, since we know it's already potentially going to create a problematic interaction. So uh, have you gotten to play around with new starter decks at all? Um, I have played a handful of games with them. Okay. So there's one card in the new starter deck that seems like it could be potentially problematic due to an interaction. Do you know what that card is? Is it an interaction within the starter deck? Not itself, no. Oh, We'll see if you can uh, figure this one out with your vast redemption knowledge. I do think that there's a, um, I do realize, I remember that at nationals when we were doing the first game, me and me and Rob M, there was like this weird interaction where you could choose the blocker, but you could choose a character that potentially negates your choose the blocker ability. And that was a weird interaction, but you're saying it's not something that's contained within the starter deck, but more of when that card gets into the card pool. Correct. I mean, so I'll give you a hint. So it might make it might make a manual specifically a little bit sad, maybe. Oh, the the Daniel Son of God. So there is a potential negative interaction that involves the Daniel Son of God. Um, so we're. Banning Cloud of Witness Daniel. Unfortunately, we are letting you keep the Daniel Son of God. That way, Emmanuel can still remain happy, and we are going to 
like you suggested, we are banning Daniel from Cloud of Nice. Nice. I, I feel like that one, I feel like both of those, instead of doing an errata thing, and see, this is where, like, we just had that whole big spiel, I, I, like, I rambled for, like, what felt like 15 minutes about, it's okay to disagree with leadership's decisions sometimes, as long as you do it the right mm-hmm. way. I'm completely on board with these two, and, I mean, I think both of these are examples of, like, changing and and those going on the ban list for new cards to get new life where they've already had their shelf life and it's kind of like i mentioned last week if you do an errata on widow to change her then widow becomes another card that's not played anymore just like she was before this new card came out so getting rid of her to allow room for life in the sun to exist as is and as was created just kind of feels like, okay, it doesn't feel bad at all in any way to me. And it's kind of the same thing with the um, Daniel reference, son of God, because cloud of witness, Daniel, when's the last time you saw him played? I honestly did not even know his ability until Gabe told me about it. He's like, Oh yeah, go check that out. And I was like, cause you just gloss over it when you look through cloud of witnesses or you look at Daniel because the other one is so far and away better. Yes, so for those players that might not necessarily be aware, the Cloud of Witness Daniel lets you shuffle a good Daniel card in your discard pile into deck, and that cannot be negated. So that would potentially allow you to recycle the Daniel reference, Son of God, which we didn't really want that to necessarily be a thing. So we're just you know, trying to allow you to still have your Daniel reference, son of God, Emmanuel can breathe easy. Hopefully I didn't make him sweat too much there with that announcement. I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad you guys were able to keep him happy with that because could you imagine the disappointment he would have if we teased him with new starter decks, Daniel reference, son of God, but it's not legal for play. Yeah. I feel like there might've been like a riot up in the Northeast just coming for us. But no, like, not to necessarily just, like, please Emmanuel per se, but just in general, I, again, I wasn't necessarily a part of these discussions fully. I'm just more aware of what took place leading up to these. Um, And, you know, at least with Daniel, there is, you know, Daniel the Apocalyptist already, which is the already more played Daniel, so it's not like we don't have an existing Daniel that can be played. So it just sort of makes sense on that end. And then Ephesian Widow didn't really see play before this. So I imagine that was part of the reasoning, allow the new card in Life in the Sun to remain, let the Ephesian Widow, you know, die for the sake of letting the new card live. The circle of life, you know, just like Lion King playing out in Redemption. So uh, along with that, Y'all are probably going to want to know an effective date for this. So both the Ephesian Widow and Cloud of Witnesses Daniel will be banned effective September 1st. So again, Widow and Cloud of Witnesses Daniel will be banned effective September 1st. And that will coincide with Phase 2 legality. You got it awesome man that, that's nice 
So phase two is legal September 1st and widow and cloud of witnesses. Daniel will be banned. Nice. Effective September 1st. I love how you set that up and you were like, I guess I can unofficially announce these, but you did. You hit every point that is actually in an official announcement. What happened, why it happened and the effective date. So as, as, yeah. I'm just going to consider that those are official announcements from, from my perspective. Well, I mean, I still have to put it in writing, so and put it available on the you know official channels and everything that we have. But yeah, you know, that's about as unofficially official as it can get. I hope so. Or is it officially unofficial? Who knows? <laughs> I'll let y'all worry about semantics. So I guess that's Marcus's job on the elder team, not mine. <laughs> I guess um, to kind of go back to the conversation real quick before uh, we wrap up here is in some of those discussions that the community has had, obviously I feel like a lot of those discussions are because of the widow interaction that, you know, is being taken care of now with a ban. But do you think when they announce the four limit activation rule, however we want to word that rule, you know, limiting unique activations to four per turn, do you think if mm. the, the ban that you just announced had happened then, what do you think the season would have looked like and the meta at nationals? I think the meta might've been a little more open just because I think a lot of people just saw the widow combo and sort of forced it. Um, you know, it, I think it definitely ended up proving to be the best deck, but I do think there were quite a few decks that could compete that players just definitely, didn't try because they were just like, oh, well, this isn't as good as Widow, which, you know, we had Jaden outright win type one with a non-Widow deck. Um, so in general, I don't want to say players may struggle to adapt to cards uh, that are available, but, you know, I think some of the top players end up proving that you do have more options than you might initially think. And I think just getting rid of Widow earlier would have just shown some more of those options that you could have played competitively to an extent. Um, but I don't think Cloud of Witnesses Daniel would have changed anything. I mean, let's be honest. Are you sure? He, he fit right into some profit decks. I mean, if someone had played him, uh, I would have been impressed. Um, I feel like if we're not seeing it in, you know, Emmanuel's Daniel lists, then it's probably not going to be played anywhere. But, I mean, overall, um, I think it might have made this tournament season a little more interesting, but ultimately not as good for the future of the game, if that makes sense. Okay, speaking about the future, I won't I won't grab that point, but you said that it would have made this tournament season more interesting. I would also say it probably from players that were not playing the combo, it probably would have made it a little bit more enjoyable. And I just not to play devil's advocate, but we have we have seen the last two years a combo deck that came out before nationals. Now love at first sight came out 
a lot closer to nationals than the widow stuff. And both of them eventually got fixed shortly after nationals. And I feel like almost like, I don't want to speak for the community, but it just seems like maybe one time of just, okay, yeah, that's a problem. Boom. I know that you said that that's not how the elder team likes to work because they want to gauge things, but almost feel like just one time of, okay, widow's probably not going to make it after this tournament season. Just, all right, we'll go ahead and get rid of it. And then just leave room for that tournament season to kind of breathe, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, I think those criticisms are fair. Um, I mean, I know the elders are fully aware of these kind of criticisms and, you know, I won't say like we take all the criticisms to heart because, you know, it'd be pretty tough if we took every critique we got to heart, but, you know, we do listen. Um, And I think it's been a little unfortunate that we've had these two combos, you know, sort of, you know, back to back and year to year. I guess just to throw this out there, because it was in my thought, was in 2020, there was also a potential broken interaction. Actually, I mean, it mm-hmm. wasn't potential. It was definitely a broken interaction that came out and was immediately, boom, we're going to make a rule change or we're going to stop that interaction. And it was never it was never a problem in a tournament game. It was never really a problem at all in an official capacity because think about it. We knew about Widow back when like people were complaining about it and we're like, guys, calm down. The cards are not even legal yet. And so before phase one became legal, we knew about this interaction and then it still happened and we had the tournament season that we had. But the interaction that I was talking about that happened in 2020 was when I believe it was Josiah and John early found Mm -hmm. and maybe Jaden was involved with it. I, I don't remember, but they found a way to loop and play son of God multiple times. Mm-hmm. And it was boom. All right, we're going to fix that. Boom. Never a problem. And I just, I don't know how much the community would have fussed last, you know, a March. If, all right, we're going to limit activations to four for future proofing the game. And widow is now officially banned in constructed yes. formats. And, and like, I just, do you think we ever get to a point to where there is some swift movement on that? Or is it just always going to follow this model, do you think? So I think that's more of a case-by-case basis kind of thing. Um, It's really tough to necessarily speak on, you know, certain things. Like the thing you brought up in 2020 uh, that was involving, uh, I think, negate recursion to get back your dominance, if I remember correctly. Yeah, something Um, like that. But that one was dealt with I think within a week or two of knowing about it, which a lot of that was just due to the nature of it being completely game winning and of itself. Um, Like effectively just, if you did that, you would just win. Um, With some of these things, we also, or I don't want to say necessarily we quite yet. um, I know I haven't necessarily had the, privilege of discussing all of this with the elders but at least from my perspective um, you do want to allow players to adapt and grow to the game so in the case of widow uh, i do see the argument for 
why it was you know just left at the limit of four activations and then seeing where that left things and you know ultimately it proved to be you know not enough to slow it down you know hindsight's 2020 that kind of thing um and then in the case of the life in the sun thing um if I'm not mistaken, that was found by me and Jaden right around the same time due to a certain video on his channel um, where we both just kind of gleaned the interaction. Oh, yeah, the love at first light, yeah. Yeah, but with that one, it was almost too late to do something about it, which, you know, as a player, I wasn't happy about, but I think part of it is just learning to you know see it from the other side at least in my position because for so long i've had the player perspective you know of even with you know the love at first sight combo uh you know i was wanting it banned like almost immediately whenever i found it um but you know just because that's what you know i felt or you know it ultimately ended up happening you know, there is a time and season for everything, and oftentimes figuring out what steps need to be taken before you take a drastic action like bans yeah. is something that you got to take into account and seeing what other alternatives you have. I mean, all all that's fair, I guess. I was just, at a, at a certain point, it becomes, it almost feels like it becomes cumulative, and again, like... I, I love all of the, the people that are in the position of being a, an elder for the game and leadership. And I've had the privilege of having them on the podcast and enjoy all the conversations I have with every one of them. Don't have any ill feelings for them or any decision they've made, but it almost feels like if, if another interaction comes out after phase two, you know, and people start deck building and we end up with something else, it's just going to feel like the last two years already – Widow and Love at First Sight, in my mind, they're already blended together because it's just two combo seasons back to back. And if there's yes. another interaction that comes out, it just becomes, for the players that are not wanting to play those and are like, you know, last year with Widow or this last tournament season, me refusing to play Widow or not wanting to play Widow because I didn't want to just play the thing that was broken that people were exploiting to win. Um, mm -hmm. I would much rather play a standard deck that I, I built or, or that I took and tried to make it my own and put some kind of, kind of creativity into it or some element of my personality into that deck and try to win with that. And, you know, it's not, not, not to knock like Jeremy, if you go and you, this is allowed and you take it and you build the best version of it and you go to nationals and you win, you deserve everything that you get. But mm -hmm. also, like, for the players that are just not wanting to deal with that, that negative play experience, think about having to play against Love at First Sight two years ago and then this past year having to play against Combo. And then if something else comes out, it just – sometimes it just seems like maybe it would be better just to, all right, boom, preemptively, like, we know that this is going to end up being a problem just – I don't know if there is a way to answer that without that, but creating a rule change and then going through an entire tournament season still with that being a problem just to at the end of it announce that, okay, it's banned. Just as a, as a player that's dealt with it for two years now, 
not saying that, you know, me, I can't really say I dealt with love at first sight because I was playing it last year, but someone that's just refused to play combo and just wants to play a balanced deck and just keeps running into those issues. How does it, it start to weigh on them mentally about the game that they care about if they constantly sit down in competitive spaces and they're hit with things that are unhealthy that continue to happen? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I feel like I may not have, I guess, properly addressed a lot of this, you know, but there needs to be faith in the leadership, too. I mean, it can't just be empty words and promises of just, you know, we're going to make the game better, just trust us, and then, you know, you every year get a negative play experience, that kind of thing. Um, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we decided to preemptively ban Cloud of Witnesses Daniel, since it was known to be, you know, a problematic interaction. I mean, in the future... You know, the hope is that there won't be anything like this, especially with, you know, more people on the team, per se. Um, but, I mean, should more things arise, I don't want to say we're immediately going to take action, just because that will depend on what we're seeing. Because, you know, it's hard to say anything on a hypothetical situation. But I do want to at least stress from, you know, at least my point of view that, you know, we do want a healthy game for everyone. Um, We don't want to just consider one option if possible. And, you know, we do want to minimize the chance of something like this happening in the future. Um, You know, whether that means more rule changes need to be made, whether that means that, you know, we need to address how we go about card creating, um, that kind of thing. These are things that all can be looked at with how we go about our process. And, you know, if something does slip through the cracks again, you know, that's the kind of thing where it depends a little bit. But, you know, hopefully at least there's still faith enough that we're competent enough to be able to keep the game in a healthy enough spot for everyone. And, you know, maybe the cloud of witnesses, Daniel band is at least some proof of we're trying to look out for the future state of the game, if nothing else. Yeah. I just, I guess, and, and I'm honestly just at this point playing a little bit of devil's advocate, just to, you know, kind of, you know, speak about, because I know that there are frustrated feelings about the way that, the meta has shifted the last two years being in favor of a, whether, you know, it's, it's, you guys aren't intentionally creating these combos, but then when nothing's done about it and they thrive for a tournament season before getting boom, it's just like, okay, next year you're expecting the next one type of thing. And I know that there, there are players, there's some that I've talked to that just, that feel like, okay, well next year, you know, what's the combo going to be next year? Like that was a conversation that happened multiple times at nationals was just like, you know, what's oh, yeah. it going to be next year? Phase two comes out. Yeah, it's nice to open these cards in booster draft, and it's fun, but which one of these is going to break the game type of thing? And it's it's a, it's a frustrating to have those conversations because then there, you, you start to realize that there is kind of hesitancy of, you know, like new cards, just assuming that there's going to be some interaction that comes out. And I guess yeah. – 
it would be it would be a really cool poll to see if if you ask people because like when Chad figured out about Love at First Sight, when Jay got involved with it and um, whatnot, like the push was like we need this thing banned before nationals, and then mm-hmm. it didn't happen, and then mm-hmm. this year with the widow combo, it would almost. I wonder what a poll would would reveal if we polled the community and said if an interaction came out that proved to be broken similar to love at first sight last year and the widow combo this year would you rather have immediate answer to stop the interaction completely or would you like to see a you know a more um i guess case study and reaction Hmm. after the tournament season i would i would almost say that it's kind of it, it. It's probably strongly shifted to like people would just rather it be fixed quickly, and I think I think that in the past, from things that I've read about other cards and things before my time in the game, it seems like leadership would make quick decisions, and then the community would get you know upset about it because it happened just so fast, and there wasn't a period of of letting it. So now it's kind of like now we're on the other end of that spectrum. Is that kind of is that kind of an accurate thing of previous? To an extent, yeah. Um, I think ultimately it comes down to it's difficult being an elder and being in charge of a lot of these decisions because in the end it comes down to what is the right answer. And you're never going to be able to please everyone with whatever decision you make. And even if you make a decision that you know, ultimately you feel is best for the game, there's still going to be plenty of people that, you know, vehemently disagree with that or everything you're doing, that kind of thing. So it's not an easy job or easy process, especially for a volunteer, but it's also something that I think all the elders love doing because they love trying to make this game better, even if it does come with, you know, a bit of, negativity at times and you know just doubt about our capabilities or you know just our intentions for the game that kind of thing but i mean you don't want to overreact to the point where people you know potentially are just hiding broken things from us we do want this to be you know an open community i mean in the instance of you know the Son of God recursion thing. That'd be pretty bad if someone just held it until the national tournament just to outright win it with something like that. Or the same with like Love at First Sight or the Widow combo. So I think it's good that our community is open with these discussions. Yeah. And I think that's where we want to be with it. Um, so finding the place to how are the elders supposed to react to the situations? I don't know that there is a right answer per se. Um, as a player, we always want swift action. And then, you know, at times when you get to be creative, you're also just like, but I kind of wanted to use that too. And, you know, but, you know, it really wasn't that bad either. So there's a fine line. Um, I think there's plenty of options that the elder team can explore uh, to potentially mitigate things in the future from occurring or even to potentially address the situation. Um, you know, those are things that, you know, 
hopefully I'll get to discuss with the elder team at some point, which I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunity. But, you know, I think in the end, it's just trying to figure out what it's all judgment based. We can do. You just got to make a call at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm happy that the elders took the time to implement something with the limit activation of four, which again does provide implications for the future. I think that was a really good step that a lot of people, you know, didn't fully understand the implications of because they were so focused on Widow that, you know, if one season, you know, maybe takes a little bit of a hit to make the future seasons better, I think I'm more okay with that. You know, it's a little sad that it ended up not being enough, but hopefully that's a learning point for, you know, the elder team so that if something similar does arise that, you know, we'll have a basis for how we can act in the future based on, you know, previous things now. Yeah, there is plenty of meat left on the bone of talking about that because it's, it's like we said at the beginning, people are just passionate and we could just keep talking about it. And um, I guess in, in good gesture and good faith of moving on from that conversation and not <laughs> having you talk about the elders, even though you haven't gotten to do a lot of the, you know, back end work with, rule changes and things. So maybe talk, having you talk about something you're not comfortable with. Let me ask you this, and this is just from a player perspective. Last question. Do you think the game has advanced to a point where a separate rule set may be needed for different formats? Because I feel like, and this is where like the limit four I mentioned earlier, it feeling like four is an arbitrary number. It's not really when you think about type two and you could have a mono brigade enhancement, you could have four copies. You want all mm-hmm. type two players to be able to use all four copies if they get it potentially. But is that the reason for, you know, was chosen for that? And we, we don't know. And I'm not asking about that, but do you think like we're at the point to where trying to make a rule change to fix interactions is hard to do because of the different formats? And do you think it's, you know, time to possibly consider separate rules for, or even if it's just like separate potential deck building rules for, for them, like, like list them with a deck building rule that, Oh yeah, by the way, you can only boom because we already have deck building rules that are separate for, for the format. But then there's also play rules, I guess, because you have rescuers choice in type two and you also have experience credit in type two, but it seems like any rule changes that are announced have to fit all categories. So you're basically asking if there should be like separate instances of rules specific to formats. Is that about right? Yes. Okay. I personally feel like some variation of that would make the job for an elder easier trying to answer a problem that is a problem in type one, maybe not as much of a problem in type two, or it becomes a bigger problem in type two to where you can answer it there, but then kind of let it, answer itself in type one type of thing. I gotcha. So I think the easy safe answer is maybe, um, but that doesn't make for much discussion. Definitely maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so I think there's a lot of options that potentially can be explored. You know, 
having a separate rule set, having, you know, additions to deck building rules, whether that be for all formats or, you know, specific ones, I think, you know, things like that, you know, could potentially be addressed. Um, I know one thing, like, I guess this is more of an idea that I've personally had about addressing a future problem is um, this really isn't necessarily about the formats, but has territory class become too, yes. you know, abusive as a whole, Yes, which um, that's one thing that I'm interested to see how that can be addressed. Um, I know I've thrown out my idea, um, which I don't know how people necessarily will respond to that or even if the elders will consider it, but your idea was one, one territory class card per turn. Not quite that harsh, but my initial thought was one territory class enhancement per prep and discard phase. Okay. Yeah. That's so, um, which I mean, honestly, that's just an initial idea of mine uh, just to see like what we can do to necessarily address how problematic, you know, territory class enhancements can get at times. Um, Cause I feel like, you know, even though we are banning widow right now, um, we do have to watch out for future interactions still, even with the limit four. Um, so figuring out what we can do to, future proof is something that I like to look at. Um, that's why I'm loving these conversations like Jared's alternate format. Like uh, uh, we've got see the tree with Chad France talking about, uh, I know he, you know, had a nice lengthy discussion about his thoughts for the format, which, you know, it seems like we partially addressed, you know, what he was talking about. Um, and, I mean, there's plenty of people I'm forgetting. I think like Christopher Robin had a similar idea to what I was suggesting. Um, I think Steve Levitron chimed in a little bit. Just, you know, I personally like seeing these just because I like to see what other players think are a problem as well. Not just, you know, what I personally feel is maybe an issue. Um, but you know, figuring out how we can address things to, you know, future-proof the game, I think is good. And, you know, more getting back in line with your question, you know, that might involve, you know, separate rule sets, you know, potentially separate ban lists if we wanted to go there. But, you know, I won't say that is things that we will do or won't do. It's just, you know, putting out ideas for us to consider and weigh over, I think is good. And so, at least for me, if you have an idea that, you know, could potentially better the game and your opinion and have, like, some reasoning or basis behind it, that kind of thing, you know, feel free to, you know, let us know in the community. You know, you could let me know personally if you're not comfortable sharing it, that kind of thing. You know, I'm always happy to discuss that kind of thing with you know, just about anyone. I know I had a nice long conversation with Jared after our game of with his format, just of this kind of nature too. 
because I mean, in the end, it's like you're saying, we are all passionate about the game and we all want to see it the best it can be. So I think the more that we share how we, you know, perceive things, uh, I think the better that the final product of redemption ultimately ends up being. And I think that's the goal of an elder is to make sure that product is as good and accessible to everyone. That's pretty much a great way to, to word the, the role of a leader or an elder in the game is just to try to make the game as best as it can be at whatever given point that you are tasked with being an elder for the game. The reason that I asked you about that and I didn't realize how close your idea for potentially fixing territory class stuff was with mine. Um, and I was just going to leave it at this question and not kind of throw my spiel in here, but you want to, you want to hear my idea and the reason that I, I was curious if you felt that having a different rule set for format was a viable thing. Go for it. Is I really think that territory class cards and you run into an issue with type two because you can have up to four copies of a single brigade enhancement. So mm-hmm. if you limit it for type one, then you limit it for type two currently. But each each territory class card is limited to, or at least enhancement, is limited to one activation per turn. So I use faith to go and get Father Abraham, and now I shuffle faith. I draw faith again, but it's in my hand. It can't be used because I've chosen to use it in prep phase. So even in battle, I can't use it now. You just limit them to one activation per turn. So Emmaus okay. Road, you can do that, sure. But you're not going to get three or four different cards with it. You're going to get the one okay. card. And then I feel like that balances a good bit of things while still allowing you to use any card you have without like an arbitrary limit of, okay, you can only do one per and keeping up with one. It's just each card can activate one time. Territory class characters are their own animal because you you wouldn't want to probably put them on that restriction, but... <laughs> I mean, I mean, you you almost solve a lot of the issue, I think, with just doing the limit the territory class enhancements once per turn. Yeah. Um, so kind of the way that, like, at least the way I approach that idea of trying to you know limit territory class in some capacity, if that were to be considered, is we don't want to, or at least I wouldn't want to limit it to the point where you know the game slows down to a crawl or you know creativity stagnates that kind of thing um so like i personally i think it's okay for territory class to have free reign during battle phase where players can interact more i just don't necessarily like seeing you know, players start playing solitaire during their prep and discard phase because they're chaining together territory class stuff, if that makes sense. So, which, you know, getting rid of some problematic cards does help with that, but there are still quite a few very powerful territory class enhancements, and the more cards that are printed, you know, the chances of that occurring kind of go up just naturally due to the card pool expanding that's just kind of how i look at it yeah so i don't know that that was just my my one thought that i had at some point this tournament season was like if jeremy could only do that one time 
it would fix it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, I like players thinking like that, you know, it's like, what can we do to kind of fix things or make it better? Or like what could potentially solve this interaction? I don't think it's good to, you know, go straight forward. Well, this needs a rule change, you know, try to first see what you can do within the game. Cause there's often quite a few answers to things that players just don't consider just because they're either salty or, you know, just a little upset about things, which, you know, it's fine if we get emotional, but, you know, figuring out how to healthily respond to situations I think is good as well. Absolutely. So I guess uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and use this point to wrap up here. I want to uh, make sure that I thank you for coming on and recording with me, making some pretty cool announcements that, first of all, you have joined the ranks of being an elder, so congratulations on earning the title. And it sounds like you've earned it through your work ethic and what you've done and contributed to the game without the title, so the title's just kind of, oh yeah, here, you deserve it because you're already doing it anyway, but definitely want to say congratulations to you for that. Well, thank you. I mean, it's definitely an honor to be considered in you know, the light to be an elder now. Uh, it, it definitely took me by surprise. Just, you know, if anyone's wanting to know kind of where I'm at, just my heart's always been about how I can, you know, make this game better than what it is. I'm always accessible if you need me. I'm not always super active on the boards as much as I should be or Discord just due to, you know, personal obligations at times, but, you know, I'm trying to make a more active effort of that, especially in this new role, just to make sure people know who I am outside of, you know, the people who do already know me. You know, it's in the end, the elder team is here for you. And so that means use us. That includes me now. Nice. Um, I guess also thank you for sharing either unofficially official or officially unofficial announcement about phase two becoming i guess tournament legal on september 1st and that coincides with also two new bands of cloud of witness daniel and widow ephesian widow i'm sorry almost just called her widow because that's what she's known as so that, that was pretty cool getting to getting to hear that on the podcast so thanks for sharing that with us yeah no worries expect a official announcement uh you know in the coming days just to be released on discord and um the forums everything but you know you get it first dibs here on the podcast nice so i want to thank you guys all for listening as always and just a reminder that we are doing the plus one initiative so get out there share the game teach the game this whole conversation that we had even though it was kind of a back and forth about questioning things and you know, was it enough and all of that? It's all about the health of the game and trying to, you heard us talk about the future of the game several times. People that care about this game, you, it's, it's unique to Redemption that we care about the game and we care about the game's future so much that we, everything, it's almost like everything we do is geared towards that. So use some of this time to teach the game. Use the new starter decks that came out uh, in their test form at Nationals to share the game with some new players and, you know, maybe pick up a prize or two for it so i want to encourage you to to make sure that you're i guess planting seeds as our friend roy would say got to plant the seeds or you'll never get the harvest
That's very true. I mean, in a way, Roy planted me into the competitive community and here I am now. So, so it does work. All right. I guess we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap up there. Peace. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. As always, I want to thank you guys for tagging along and listening. Hopefully you picked up all the nuggets of information along the way. Yes, Widow is out. We can all rejoice. I want to thank Joe for coming on and want to thank Leadership for continuing to be available for being on the podcast, even when they're new elders. So definitely want to appreciate them for being open with the community and willing to participate in something like this. And we'll talk to you next week as we review another big change with the Game of Redemption. We'll be talking about the rule change to who goes first and not being dictated by souls, but dictated by a random method. So that's what you can look forward to next week. We'll catch you then. Peace. Peace.